Welcome to the Beholding Christ podcast, where our aim will be to discuss how we can behold the glory of Christ throughout the entirety of Scripture, both in the Old and New Testaments, and in the world in which we live. For from Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Hi, everyone. My name is Justin, and I am your host for the Beholding Christ podcast. I'd like to welcome each of you, and I hope you're doing well today. Uh, For our first episode, I'd like to discuss the things that um, led up to the creation of this podcast and as well as the the direction that we'll be going in future episodes, Lord willing. So um, I guess I'll give some justification for the name. Uh, The name is based off of um, or comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, which I'll read that for you. It says, but we all with unveiled face. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So what I take that to mean is, by the help of the Holy Spirit, those of us who are in Christ, um, as we behold the glory of Christ, He will change us more into the image, into His image, um, which of course, as believers, is what we want. And praise the Lord that as he opens the eyes of the blind, those people who are not believers, um, he also changes them and um, he can save them. So we praise the Lord for that as well. So um, th- that's what I that's what I want to do. That's what I want to um, help other people to do by, by God's grace and his help is I want to behold the glory of Christ so that way he'll change me more into his image. Um, as Second Corinthians says, he will do. And so... This whole podcast will be, Lord willing, dedicated to that. And that, that can come through discussing scripture. Um, it can also come through talking about how we can behold the glory of Christ in creation and the things around us, because we do know also, based on scripture, that all of creation um, points to the glory of Christ. And it was made uh, through him. And as we'll see in a second, it was made not only through him, but by, or sorry, but for him. And everything is moving to him. So, um, yeah, I, I think we're gonna. I know we are. We're gonna start by um, discussing how we can see Christ in the Old Testament, and the reason I want to do that because um, it's not gonna be a comprehensive discussion. You know, um, hopefully, over the several episodes, Lord willing, if He allows us to continue, we'll go. Uh, we'll look at uh, several passages from the Old Testament to see how they point to Christ. Um, but I want to make a case for the importance of seeing Christ in the Old Testament specifically, because if you open your New Testament, um, you're going to see his you're going to see his name very easily. You'll see Christ. You'll see Jesus. Um, you'll see Jesus Christ. You'll see Christ Jesus. Something along those lines, or Lord. Um, and so it's it's pretty easy, at least, to find his name in the the New Testament. The Old Testament people can have a little bit more difficulty with, and because his name is not going to be specifically stated um, in the way that it is in the New Testament. Um, however, I do believe, as I mentioned before, I'm being redundant on purpose, that it's important to see Christ everywhere in Scripture, because as we behold His glory, He will change us by the help of the Holy Spirit. So, um, a lot of people, I think, shy away from um, looking for Christ in the Old Testament, because whether they were taught as I was taught, um, I went to a Christian 
university and I did biblical studies in my undergrad and they really honed in on this um, is this idea of keeping scripture in its immediate context and then leaving it there. Um, and that's, that's all that matters is what does scripture say in its immediate context? And, um, and that's it again. I, so, well, I understand the, the rationale behind that. I'm not saying I agree with it because I, I don't, but I understand the rationale behind it um, because people want to make sure that others are not reading scripture and making it and twisting it into whatever they want it to say, um, which that does happen quite a lot. So I totally, I do understand the reservation with that. However, as I read more of the Old Testament, or sorry, excuse me, the New Testament, and I see how the New Testament authors attribute the Old Testament to Christ and even Christ himself saying it is, uh, it wrote about him and its fulfillment is in him. I am becoming more and more convinced that yes, the immediate context, it does matter. God did write to a specific people at a specific time and a specific um, like setting with specific events happening. However, if we leave it there, I think we totally strip um, the ultimate fulfillment of the passages, which is Christ himself. And again, we'll, we'll go through that as the episodes go on uh, in the future, Lord willing. Um, but I want to make a, a short case for it now as to how I've become convinced of this and based on scripture, why I have become convinced of this. And then in future episodes, we'll actually look at some passages together, discuss through them. And um, yeah, so that's where, that's where, we're, where we will go. Um, so I guess I'll start with what I've already, I think I hinted at it in, uh, Romans 11 and Colossians chapter one. Um, we see Paul use some language here that I think is very telling at the end of Romans 11, Paul is going to say, Oh, the depths of the riches. And so this is Romans 11, 33 through 36, all the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable unfathomable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it would be paid back to him. Now pay attention to this for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. Um, that's also the passage that I quoted in the little introduction uh, to this. Um, so from Christ through Christ and to Christ are all things. And I do not believe those are fun prepositional phrases that Paul just threw in there for the sake of having them in there. I believe they are very telling and I believe that we should give them contemplation and by the help of the Holy Spirit, uh, look for Christ and his fulfillment of that reality. Um, in Colossians 1, uh, we read Colossians 1, 15 through and on. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Um, these for hymns, in hymns, um, again, I do believe they are quite telling and have a lot of weight to them. Um, and so if all things are moving to Christ, if all things are for Christ, um, and again, I'll, I'll give more examples of this in a moment, but 
this is kind of like the basis, the very baseline of why I believe we should um, try to see how all of Scripture, including the Old Testament, finds its fulfillment in Jesus and everything else in the world. And again, we'll we'll dedicate future episodes to discussing how we can see it, uh, see Christ and his his fulfilling of things in that we see around us, um, including the mundane, which is um, a pretty fun thing to to think about and to um, yeah consider. So we'll do that, and Lord willing, in future episodes. So with that baseline in mind of Romans eleven and Colossians one. Um, I'd like also to get you guys to look at or think about in um, John chapter, trying to think which one to start with. Um, Yeah, let's start with John 3, I guess. In John 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, um, everybody knows John 3, at least one of the verses in John 3, with John 3, 16. But let me pull that up really quickly so I can read it without misquoting him. we have Jesus talking to Nicodemus here, and he's gonna he's gonna say something that, um, again, I think is an example from what well, is an example from the Old Testament and how Christ is the ultimate fulfillment in that. So hopefully, you guys can begin to see why I'm well, excuse me why I am forming uh, the or how I'm forming these arguments, and then um, we'll continue moving forward with other passages. So in John three, Nicodemus is gonna say. Or in verse 9, Nicodemus responded and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, You are the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Which, again, I think that's, that's pretty telling, too, because it, you have Christ here. He's rebuking him, and he's like, You're this teacher of Israel. You're supposed to know this Old Testament pretty well. Um, how do you not realize that this stuff right talks about me? Anyway, truly, truly, I say to you, this is verse 11 of John 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and testify of what we have seen, and you people do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. Now this this serpent in the wilderness is a re- and Moses is a reference back to Numbers chapter twenty one. The people of Israel are going to complain against God. Um, they say, why have you brought us out from Egypt to die in the wilderness where there is no food and no water, and we are disgusted with this miserable food? So as a rebuke to, uh, to, his people, to his people, God is going to do the following. This is from Numbers 21, um, starting in verse 6. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord that he will remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and put it on a flagpole, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten and looks at it will live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on the flagpole. And it came about that if the, sorry, if the serpent bit someone and he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, if you look at that, Christ's name is nowhere mentioned. Jesus Christ is not mentioned. Christ is not mentioned. Christ Jesus is not mentioned. But in John 3, we have Jesus talking to Nicodemus, amazed that he doesn't understand this, these kind of things. Um, and then he's going to say that just as the people were bitten and then 
they looked at the serpent that was raised up on this pole. They lived just as they did that. So too, the Son of Man, Christ, is going to be raised up on a pole cross. And anyone who looks at him in repentance is going to be saved, um, which is what we do. Those of us who are believers, we have, by God's grace, he has um, made us alive and granted us repentance as we call out to him in faith based on what Christ has accomplished in satisfying his wrath, um, we are, we're saved. And so we have Christ attributing that passage to himself. Again, I realize this is one passage, but again, I'll, I'll give you more. But I wanted to just start building a case as to how I've come to this conclusion that I believe we should be looking for Christ throughout the Old Testament. So next we'll go to uh, John chapter 5. So um, if you're following along, you can go to John 5. I'm going to look toward look toward the end. Um, and in this passage, we have Christ talking to um, some of the, re the religious leaders and some of the, sorry, excuse me, some of the Jews, yeah. And um, starting in verse 39, Christ is going to say, you examine the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is those very scriptures that testify about me. Again, very telling. And the scriptures there are referring to the Old Testament at this point, of course, because the New Testament was not written at the time that Jesus said these words. So you examine the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, and it is those who it is those very scriptures that testify about me. And yet you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you accept glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory which is glory that is from the one and only God? And this is the now listen to this, verse forty-five of John five. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have put your hope. And Moses there um, is referring to the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy. So whenever they say Moses, the one who accuses you is Moses. He's referring to the, those books. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have put your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Um, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Um, so Christ is, is saying there, Moses wrote about him, Jesus. And so if you read the Pentateuch, um, the, sorry, the first five, when I, if I say the Pentateuch, I'm referring to the first five books of the Old Testament. If you read the Pentateuch, um, you're going to be very hard-pressed to find the words Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus in there. However, we have Jesus here telling us that Moses indeed wrote about him. How did he do that? Well, we'll 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 get we'll get there, and Lord willing, if you start reading, you know, uh, read your Bible and ask the Lord for His help. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and He can He can do that. One of the Holy Spirit's primary roles is to reveal Christ to us, and so by all means, don't wait for these episodes. By all means, get into your Bible, ask the Lord for His help to see Christ, and um, and yeah, but um, yeah, so. I take that to mean that, as Christ says, if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me, that Moses did indeed write about him. Um, so keep that in your mind as well. So, so far we've talked about Romans 11, Colossians 1, how everything is moving through Christ, or everything is made by Christ, is for Christ, and is moving to him. We have the example of the bronze serpent in the wilderness, and how Christ himself says that he is the fulfillment of that. 
Here we have John 5, where he says that Moses wrote about him. Now we're going to go into Luke 24, where uh, Jesus is going to be talking to these guys on the road to Emmaus. This is after Jesus has risen from the dead, and the, the people are talking about it, and um, they don't know he's they don't know his Christ um, at this point. But he's he's walking and talking with them, and they're talking about what's happened. And then Jesus is going to inquire, and he's going to say, what, what, what kind of things are you talking about? What's going on? And so then um, as they talk, they're going to say what happened. And we'll pick it up in Luke 24, 22. Well, I'll start 21, actually. Luke 24, 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And this is not Jesus talking. This is the, the guys talking. Uh, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. But also some women, uh, some women among us left us bewildered, bewildered, that's a fun word, when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they also had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And so some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And then he, that's Jesus, in verse 25, and then he, Jesus, said to them, You foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to come into his glory? Then beginning with Moses, and again, when it says Moses there, it's talking about the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things that were written about himself in all the scriptures. Continuing on in Luke 24, um, we have Jesus is going to appear, excuse me, to another group of people, to his disciples, and he's going to say, or Luke's going to tell us the following, and then we're going to see what Christ is going to say to them. Now, while they were telling these things, Jesus, this is verse 36 of Luke 24. Now, while they were telling these things, Jesus himself suddenly stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were looking at a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you frightened and why are, the, why are doubts rising in your heart? in your hearts. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see, because the Spirit does not have flesh and bones as you plainly see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they st still could not believe it because of their joy and astonishment, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They served him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in front of them. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all the things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Um, and he's going to go on. So we have there the law of Moses, the first five books. We have the prophets and we have the Psalms. Essentially, he's saying each major section of um, uh, of, of the Old Testament um, and we're even going to see in a moment how even the narrative books are going to also uh, point to him. But so, again, why do I bring this up? Well, this goes back to a similar thing that he says in John 5, where he says, if you believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. Here we have in Luke 24, two different instances where Christ is going to walk people through the Old Testament. He's going to use the Pentateuch, the first five books. He's going to use the prophets. He's going to use the Psalms to show them how they point to him. Again, meanwhile, if you go back to those sections of the scripture of the Old Testament, you were very hard pressed to find the words Jesus, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. There are some obvious allusions we hear them around Christmas time, um, hopefully, uh, in in the Old Testament. But again, to actually find the words like Jesus Christ Jesus um, 
it is a little bit difficult. However, we have Christ here telling us that those passages do, in fact, point to him. Now, for probably the most uh, convincing passage in my mind for this, or actually the whole the whole book, really, but we're only, we're only going to focus on one passage, is the book of Hebrews. Uh, the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament now, the book of Hebrews is um, all about how Christ is better. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to any man. He's superior to anyone who's ever endured faithfully to the end. Um, everything finds its fulfillment in him, including um, the sacrificial system, including the temple. Um, he's better than the temple. He's better than the sacrificial system. And so everything finds its fulfillment in Christ, and Christ is better than all of it. So in Hebrews 1, the author of Hebrews is going to be making it the case that Christ is better than the angels. The way he's going to do that is very interesting. Um, he's going to start off the book by saying that Christ is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of his nature. So as we behold Christ, we'll see the Father because they are one. Um, of course, in Orthodox Christianity, we do believe that uh, we have one, only one God, but there are, um, he is made up of three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and as we behold Christ, we do see the Father because, again, they are one. Now, um, in this argument that the author of Hebrews is going to make that Christ is better than the angels, he's going to do it in such a way where he's going to ask a, a series of questions. And he's going to say, has, has the Father ever said these words to, to an angel? And the answer is going to be resounding, no, of course not. He's never said any of this stuff to an angel before. Um, angels are different, of course, than, uh, than Christ. And so he's going to say, because, essentially the argument here in Hebrews 1 is because the Father has said these words to Christ, um, that shows that Christ is better than the angels. Now, the way he's going to do that, the way the author of Hebrews is going to make this case, is that he's going to give us kind of some insight into this dialogue, if you will, between the Trinity. You have the Father talking to the Son and through the words of the Holy Spirit. Now, we say, I say it's through the words of the Holy Spirit because he quotes um, the Old Testament. You know, the author of the author of all scripture is, is the Holy Spirit. So we have the Father using the words of the Holy Spirit, using the words of the Old Testament to talk to Christ. And, um, and it's just, it's really, it's really fascinating. So in all of these quotes that you're going to see, if you turn to Hebrews 1, you'll see that, you know, a lot of times it depends on your version of the Bible, whether you have a printed copy or on the Bible app or whatever, you'll see that like all capital letters that in, indicating that um, is a quote from the Old Testament. And these start in, in verse 5. All of the quotes that you see between verse 5 and verse 13 are taken from the Psalms except for one of them. And so, um, again, why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because we're trying to make a case here that as we read the Psalms, as we read the narratives, as we're going to see in verse uh, Hebrews 1.5, as we read Moses, the first five books, as we read the prophets in the Old Testament, um, we should be asking the Lord, hey, please help me to see Christ here because I want to be made like him. And we have the author of Hebrews here attributing Old Testament passages to Christ and they find their fulfillment in Christ. And so we need his help to see Christ in those things. So starting in verse um, verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 1, um, again, he's making this case here that the angels are inferior to Christ. Christ is better than the angels. 
For to which of the angels did he, the father, ever say, quote, you are my son, today I have begotten you? That's from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. The answer, again, is none. That God has never, the father has never um, said those words to an angel. And again, quote, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. That's from 2 Samuel 7, 14. I'll come back to that one um, in a little bit. So just hold, hold, hold fast on that one. Hebrews 1, 6, and when he, the father, again brings the firstborn into the world, he, the father, says, and quote, and let all the angels of God worship him, that's Psalm 97, 7, and of the angels, he, the father, says, quote, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire, Psalm 104, 4, but of the son, he says, but of the son, the father, says, quote, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Notice how he's attributing deity to the Son. This is taken from Psalm 45, 6 through 7. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And, quote, this is from Psalm 102, 25 through 27. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, Again, attributing deity here, attributing the creation of the world to Christ. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but your, you remain, and they will become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. Like a garment they will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. End quote. But to which of the angels has he ever said? Again, the answer is a resounding none. This is from Psalm 110.1. Sit at my right, quote, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they, the angels, not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Question mark. Um, so, again, we have, the, we have the Father here saying these words about Christ to Christ um, from the Old Testament, from the Psalms primarily except for the one quote in Hebrews 1.5. So, again, I think it becomes clear that if you look at the immediate context of Psalm 2, 97, 104, 45, uh, 102, and 110, from which these passages are taken, you're not going to see Christ's name mentioned. But here we have the Father telling us, the author of Hebrews telling us, the Father sees these passages as being fulfilled in Christ. And let's go back quickly to Hebrews 1.5, where we have... I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. This is from 2 Samuel 7, 14. In 2 Samuel 7, 4, in 2 Samuel 7, we have the Davidic covenant being given to David. Now, the Davidic covenant is going to be essentially where God is going to promise that David is never going to lack a descendant on the throne. Ultimately, fulfilled in Christ because Christ is a descendant of David. That's why it's important that he's a descendant of David, and he is reigning right now, and he will reign forevermore. So Christ is a fulfillment of that Davidic covenant. Now, if you go back to 2 Samuel 7, God is going to tell David, you're not going to build a, you're not going to build the temple. Your son is going to build it after you. Um, and he's going to, I will raise him up as a king. I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. This is again, 2 Samuel 7, 14. Immediately after that in 2 Samuel 7, we have, um, God is going to say, when he commits iniquity, I will reprove him. Now, how can that find its fulfillment in Christ? Because Christ has never and will never commit iniquity, sin. Well, it finds its fulfillment in Christ because in all the ways that Solomon messed up, Christ did not. As wise as Solomon was, Christ is the wisdom from God. Um, as you even have Song of Solomon, where you have Solomon talking to um, 
his bride and they're fawning over each other. They find each other beautiful. They enjoy each other. That ultimately finds its fulfillment in Christ as well, because marriage, the covenant of marriage, ultimately finds its fulfillment in Christ, because those of us who are believers are married to Christ. And the marriage covenant should, again, point to Christ. It's, it's the tangible, clear, tangible um, indication of the relationship between Christ and his church. And so as you look, if you look back at Second Samuel 7, again, Christ is nowhere mentioned, but the author of Hebrews here attributes that one verse in Second Samuel 7. 14, the first part of that verse, he attributes to Christ. Um, again, showing me that we should be looking for Christ in the Old Testament. How do these kings of the Old Testament point us to Christ? Um, how did David do that? We'll talk about that. How did Solomon do that? Uh, as I, I mentioned already, um, a little bit with Solomon, and we'll get more into more into him as well. But um, again, I just want to make a case here, and we'll, we'll look into this in the future episodes. But Romans 11, Colossians 1, Jesus' examples in John 3, John 5, Luke 24, um, here in Hebrews 1, the whole book of Hebrews, but especially Hebrews 1, where you have this dialogue between the Trinity, the Father talking to the Son through the words of the Holy Spirit, and these words finding their fulfillment in Christ. I think it becomes overwhelmingly clear that we really should, by the help of the Holy Spirit, as we read our scriptures, Old and New Testaments alike, um, be asking him to reveal Christ to us so that we will be changed more into his image as Second Corinthians 3.18 says he will do. Um, so, yeah. Um, cool. Well, in the future episodes, what, what I'll do next is I want to actually go through another example of this. So, I'll, excuse me, I'll plan on um, going through uh, a couple of Psalms. So we'll start with Psalm 1 next time. We'll read it together. I'll make some observations by the Lord's help and grace, and um, we'll talk about how Psalm 1 uh, points to Christ, uh, because I believe it does, as all the Psalms do, and everything does, because everything finds its fulfillment in Christ. Well, thank you guys uh, for tuning in, um, and um, yeah, we will move forward, Lord willing, and um I guess I will see you guys, or not really see you, but talk to you uh, in future episodes. God bless, and look for Christ in his word in the Old and the New Testaments. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Beholding Christ podcast. Feel free to share this with your friends, your family, and always I welcome your prayers that the Lord would magnify his name through this and that the saints would be edified and made more into the image of Christ as we discuss his word together. God bless. Mm-hmm.